ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. We find the defendant guilty. Everybody thought, oh, he's such a nice guy, kind of happy-go-lucky guy, and, you know, he's so sweet. When nobody's looking, they're just this totally different person. People didn't want to believe it because he was just a hard-working guy, went to work every day, you know, clocked in, clocked out, whatever. Who would ever even think that then when he got home, behind closed doors, and, you know, once his kids went to sleep or whatever, Oh, he gets his slave out and tortures her and rapes her and does whatever he does to her. Hello, vile people. Hello, welcome back to another episode. Another episode. Another sode. And this week is my story. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, don't sound too enthused. I'm enthused. I'm always enthused. This is my enthusiastic voice. It's just your Shouldn't your you voice. know over the years That's that my fair. enthusiastic voice is monotone? I mean, I've I've heard you be very, very enthusiastic before with your, what? <laughs> so this week is going to be a little bit different. Well, I guess it's different from what we did in 2020, but apparently we're just doing a lot of these in 2021. So this is a survival story. Oh, yay. I love survival stories. And as some of you may know, we actually did a uh, episode on the boy in the box. Well, this story is called The Girl in the Box. Ooh. Colleen Stan. Ooh, okay. I'm here. So, yeah, I'm really excited to share this with you guys. Now, I'm going to take you all the way back to the morning of May 19th, 1977. Colleen Stan was only 20 years old. And she decided to hitchhike from her home in Eugene, Oregon to Northern California because she wanted to attend a friend's birthday party. Now, in the 70s, hitchhiking was all rad. It was all great. You know, the hippie time, everybody was doing it. And she did have a car, but her car was not working at the time. So she was like, I want to surprise my friend for her birthday. I'm just going to hitchhike. Now, this is a very, very long ways to hitchhike, especially. She spent most of her day accepting rides from various strangers, slowly making her way to her designation. And she was really careful about who she decided to take rides from. In fact, she even turned down a lift from a group of young men because she understood, you know, the small but serious risks mm -hmm. that happen and come with hitchhiking. Now, Colleen had this beautiful, long, wavy brown hair. It was kind of like a dirty blonde brown, if that makes sense. Like she had the like sun streaks going down. She had a charming smile and she was just this young, brave woman. She thought that she would have no problems hitching a lift to her friend's birthday. So that was the plan. She made it all the way to Red Bluff, California which is about an hour away from her friend's home. So she was almost there. This is when a blue van pulled over to offer her a ride. Knowing what she knows about stranger danger, she kind of took a look into the car and she saw a man, a woman, and a baby. So in her mind, she's like, oh, this this is safe, right? Like I can- It sounds safe to me. Yeah, it's I a would family. Think, yeah, I think I'd be safe too. 
So this smiling young couple with a baby pulled over to pick her up and she just thought that she had the best luck ever, you know, going all the way from Eugene, Oregon to Northern California with no like hiccups. Now, Colleen hitchhiked more than once. This is not her first time hitchhiking. She felt really comfortable doing this. And at first she thought really comfortable with this couple, except later on, she started having a really bad feeling about it. And she just brushed it off. She thought she was overthinking this. A few miles into their journey, this is when the man, whose name was Cameron, stopped at a service station, a gas station, so that way he can let Colleen use the bathroom. Now, during this time, Colleen had that bad feeling kind of grow on her even more. And she actually told People Magazine, and I quote, a voice told me to run and jump out of a window and never look back. But I told myself I was being silly. I ignored the alarm bells and climbed back into the car. It was only then where she spotted like a curious object when she got back into the car. Now she didn't know what this object was. It looked like a wooden box, but she wasn't sure. So she kind of just left it alone and played it off like it was not there. However, she does know that it was not there before they stopped to let her use the bathroom. Hmm. It was in the trunk of the car previously. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they drove for about 20 more minutes and this is when, again, they decided to stop. They pulled over onto the side of the road and Cameron told Colleen that all he wanted to do was do some sightseeing for the ice caves that were across the way. Now Colleen thought that the ice caves were just the coolest thing ever. So she even got out because Cameron told her like, hey, we're just going to stop here for just a minute. And Colleen was like, okay, well, I still have my friend's birthday, but as long as it's only a few minutes. This is when they were all three, including Cameron's wife, looking over to look at the ice caves. This is also when Cameron decided to hold Colleen at knife point, gagged her, tied her up, and forced her to place that handmade wooden contraption box over her head. So this box had one hole on the side and it was called a head box. Cameron was a skilled carpenter. He constructed this 20 pound wooden box so it would fit snugly on top of her head. Now he didn't have her specifically in mind but he knew the type of person he was looking for. He also lined this box with soundproof material, making it impossible for Colleen to see and difficult for her to hear. I got kind of creepy feeling at that point. Five, 10 minutes goes by. They stopped at a gas station and I got out and went into the bathroom. I don't know if it was God, an angel, whatever, but there was a voice and it was, telling me to jump out the window and run and never look back. And and I just kept thinking, this is crazy. I get in the back seat of the car and there's this strange wooden box sitting on the seat next to me that wasn't there before. And I looked at it and I didn't know what it was, so I kind of ignored it. <laughs> we probably traveled 
maybe another 20 minutes or so. And they asked me, is it all right if we stop and, and look at these ice caves? I was just gracious that they had stopped and given me the ride. So I said, if it's not going to take very long, that's fine. You know, I don't care. So they stopped and the wife and the baby got out and they went down to this little creek and I'm looking around wondering, well, what happened to this guy? Where'd he go? So he puts this box over my head. It had hinges, so it kind of opened up like a clam or something. Went over your head, had a hole for your neck so that your head is totally encased inside this box when it's closed up. The box was very confining, very like claustrophobic and he had insulated it with carpet so that if I should yell out, nobody's gonna hear me. I was very frightened and of course I'm just wondering what are these people gonna do to me? Are they gonna kill me? Are, are they gonna rape me? I hear the woman and the baby getting back in the car and he starts the car in. They turn around, go back to the highway. Now they brought her back to the couple's home in Red Bluff, California. And this is where Cameron, whose full name was Cameron Hooker, he was 23 years old. He and his wife, Janice, locked her in a wooden box. A full body wooden box? Full body wooden box. Where's the baby? With Janice. Uh, Okay, I just, I, okay. Trust me, there's more. Now, after arriving to the home, on the very first night, of course, Colleen was terrified. She was taken out of this box and hung by chains from rafters in the basement. She's still blindfolded, and Cameron raped and beat her. Now, on top of that, they celebrated her capture by having sex with one another on the table below her. She was still hanging from the ceiling by her wrists. That, I I don't even have words. That's so sadistic and disgusting. Now, Colleen had an interview with Closer, and she stated, I was terrified. Janice watched as Cameron tortured me, and then they had sex in front of me. I was convinced they were going to kill me. Yeah, I'd be convinced, too. I'd be like, what's next? Like, this isn't going to end happily. That's for sure. Exactly. So she actually blacked out from all of the pain and trauma, which I personally think would have been the best thing for her, just to let her, I guess, take a break from everything that was happening in that moment. Yeah, I mean, your body's responding to it, telling you you need to have a break, and that's the natural response. Now, the first night he held Colleen, Cameron forced her to sleep in that wooden box he constructed, and this was to kind of keep her from escaping. So let me describe you this box. It had the dimensions of a crate, like a milk crate. Colleen was unable to lie down, And instead, she had to sleep sitting up inside of the box, bound by chains with her knees to her chest. So here I am suspended by my wrist. It was very painful. And he starts whipping me. I see him and his wife and they're having sex. And I guess he finished having sex with his wife. He comes over and he's putting his hands on me and running his hands up and down my body and I blacked out. He walked me across the basement to a corner of the basement and he had this, for lack of a better way to describe it, it was like a crate box. 
I'm blindfolded. I didn't see it, but I can just tell from when I sat in it, that's what it felt like. He put the head box back on my head, and he just went away. That was basically the first night that he had me. Now, eventually, Cameron and Janice moved out of their house, which had a basement, to a mobile home that didn't have a basement. So this was going to be hard to keep Colleen there. Cameron decided to construct another box. This time, it was the size of a coffin. And this new box allowed Colleen to sleep lying down. And this is going to be a little weird, but they placed this box underneath their waterbed. Now, this box did have air holes in it. However, even with the air holes, it reached over 100 degrees during the summer months inside this box. Now, Colleen was kept in this box underneath their waterbed for 23 hours a day. In the remaining hour, this is when Colleen was allowed to eat before being systematically abused by Cameron, only letting her out when they decided they wanted to rape or torture her. Now, Cameron and Janice, surprisingly, they had two daughters. Neither of these girls realized that their parents held Colleen against her will. How? The couple's daughters didn't even know that Colleen lived in their house, much less underneath their parents' bed in the wooden box because Cameron was a pathological liar and told them that Colleen went to her home every single night and was only there to help out with chores. Oh my God. January, 1978. So this is a year into Colleen's disappearance. This is when a few things began to change for Colleen. Cameron offered Colleen additional privileges if she agreed to sign herself into slavery for life. Oh. <laughs> Like a document? A sign-sealed document. Oh, my God. Now, Colleen was so worked over and brainwashed by Cameron that she refused any chance she had at escaping for this whole entire year. Holy crap. Colleen was allowed to just work in the house, do yard work, and babysit Cameron and Janice's children. On top of being abused and rape, of course. She was beaten, electrocuted, burned, whipped, and even stretched on a rack for Cameron's pleasure. Now, Cameron, being, you know, the carpenter and everything, he built this medieval, like, structure that looked like a cross. Colleen would lay down on her back. There was a chain attached to her feet, and Cameron would crank this chain and stretch her. Now, Cameron eventually made her sign that slave contract and threatened to kill her and her family if she escaped. He knew that by stripping her from human contact, it would force her to obey and it'll even help him kind of control her. The sex slave contract was from a bondage pornography magazine that he held. This is where he got the idea from because he had a BDSM pornography magazine. He has the willpower to create all these devices, but he doesn't have the willpower to create his own document. He had to get it from a yep. magazine. He had to steal the idea from a made-up pornography that, I guess, appealed to his, in, in his eyes, his natural nature of wanting to systematically abuse someone and control. 
Wow. Now, Colleen, of course, became more and more compliant, but she also became very desperate to escape his sadistic attacks. She was forced to sign this slave contract, and she was renamed K. This was to hide her own identity, so she wasn't a person anymore. She yeah. was a thing. Yeah, he's stripping just everything away from her to make her a prop and her object to his exactly. desire. Exactly. Yeah. She wasn't Colleen. She was K. She was also made to call Cameron master and his wife, ma'am. And this was just used as an exercise to just help the couple dehumanize her and keep her captive even longer. He also told Colleen that Janice, who is his wife, was also once a sex slave and he saved her by marrying her. Now, if she signs this slave contract, Kay earned the ability to go upstairs after she signed. But Colleen was not allowed. Only, Only Kay. Kay. So, she, so he, yeah, okay, I get it. Once she forfeits her identity, she's able to just do more things. Exactly. Kind of. it, yeah. was, it was the freedom where Colleen didn't have these freedoms, but Kay can go upstairs. Now, just to give you an idea of her life in this box, she was barely able to move and was trapped in the dark. She was forced to use a bedpan when she needed to go to the restroom and she would maneuver it into place with her feet and then back down once she was done. I I think she was just so traumatized and dehumanized that she just thought, wow, he gave me a bedpan. He's so thoughtful. Oh yeah. At that point, any gift you receive from them is a gift when in actuality, exactly. nothing about it is okay. It's like your bare minimum basic human rights that were actually stripped from you. Are now a gift. Are now a gift, yeah. Now, a fan did blow air through one of the small holes in the box. And of course, even with that fan on, it was still 100 degrees in hot summer. She was forbidden from making a noise when she was in this box. Now, earlier, it was stated that there was two daughters that this couple had. Now, at first, it was just the first daughter when she was kidnapped. Well, Janice got pregnant again. This is their second daughter. Colleen was inside of this box and was not allowed out when Janice gave birth to their second child while they were on that waterbed, which is above the box. So she's giving birth to her second daughter on a waterbed above Colleen. Yes. Okay. Above a sex slave that this child's father has kept. Some people may ask, how can uh, a person like Colleen Stan, who's had a relatively normal life, uh, so quickly uh, go into that slave mode? Human beings are very adaptable. Uh, we can adapt to almost anything. In this particular case, Colleen Stan's adapted to her new role in life, which was a slave. I tried to be a good slave because I was too afraid of the company. Now that everyone has the idea of what was going on with Colleen, especially between, you know, Cameron and his wife, Janice, I'm going to start going into the reason why Colleen never escaped. Mm. Now, Colleen was not only brainwashed into believing this was her last hope, and Cameron is her savior. She was also brainwashed into believing that Cameron was a part of a shadowy organization called The Company. Cameron would say that if Colleen even attempted to escape, 
the company would nail her to a cross or shoot her if she even tried or attempted. So she basically is like die or be tortured. Exactly. Now, Colleen also stated in quote, his wife told me if you step outside the door without permission from us, you might as well put a shotgun to your head and pull the trigger. Colleen also stated that Cameron said, and I quote, if you don't do as I say, I'll have people go hurt your family. Yeah, they're just dangling death in front of her. Exactly. I know one of the questions that you all are probably having is what did Colleen's parents do? Yeah. Right? Does she have parents? That's a question, right? She did have a family. Okay. Her parents were, I think, separated from my understanding. She was closer to her her father and they did report her missing after she was abducted by Cameron and Janice. Two years have gone by and there was no trace of her. Now, her parents just thought that she found brand new life in California because she hitchhiked, but they still were very uneasy with the fact that she didn't check in throughout this whole entire two years. Yeah, it's a long time to not say anything to anybody. Exactly. And there was a missing persons report for her. It just didn't go anywhere. Two years after being held captive, this is when Cameron gave Colleen a Christmas gift, as he so puts it. She was able to call her parents. What? Now, Cameron was there watching the call, watching her every move, said, you better not mess this up. This is a gift to you. You will not talk about me. You will not talk about our life here. You will not talk about abduction, about slavery. You will not even hint at the fact that you do not want to be here. Like a cult leader. Exactly. Now, she was able to talk to her dad for just a few minutes, but then he cut it off early and told her that she was done. That's even more suspicious. Her dad in later interviews said that this was the best gift, but she didn't sound like herself. Surprisingly, in March 1981, this is years, three years into her being held captive by Cameron and Janice, he said that the company okayed her to have a visit with her family what yes yes okay now before they would go this is where it kind of gets crazy she had to prove her loyalty to cameron and janice and the company now the only way that she was able to do this according to cameron he handed her a shotgun told her to put it in her mouth and pull the trigger it was blanks it was blanks but he wanted to see if she would actually go through with it. He yeah. wanted to see if he was, if Colleen was so devoted to him, to the company, that she would not leave and she would do whatever he said, no matter what it was. Yeah, the trust, just like you said. So because she really wanted to see her family and it's been so long and she just wanted to see some familiar faces, she did it. And it was blanks. On March 20th, 1981, This is when they decided to go visit her family. She was able to be left alone with them. So that way she couldn't convince them that Cameron was her fiance and that she was happy. She was allowed to visit with her family for approximately 24 hours by herself. Whoa. She was also told that her dad's house was under surveillance by the company. And if she acted out or tells the truth about her and what happened the company would come inside and take out everyone. Okay. 
Now, although her family suspected she may have joined a cult, they decided to accept her word and even took a picture of the happy couple and waved them on their way when Cameron came back to pick her up. Mm-hmm. He had me kneeling before him and he handed me a shotgun and he said to put it in my mouth and pull the trigger, which I did. I had to do what he was telling me to do. Uh, otherwise, I was not going to go see my family. On March 20th, Cameron takes Colleen to see her family in Riverside. As we were driving down interstate, he's prepping me what to say. He said to tell them that he was my fiance. He was going to a seminar down in the San Diego area. So he thought it was a good idea for me to go and spend some time with my family since I hadn't seen him in so long. Cameron also tells Colleen her father's house is under surveillance by the company. And if she tries to tell the truth, the company will kill everyone inside. I was not only scared for myself, but I was scared for my family or anybody else who may help me that they would also harm those people. She had lost quite a bit of weight, but she looked, you know, pretty much all right. And he came with her. She introduced him as her boyfriend, I think, and uh, then I didn't see him again till he, he come back. Colleen provides few details about her life, and her family is reluctant to ask. I didn't want to push her where she was because I was afraid then we wouldn't hear, hear from her. I felt that the company was watching, was listening, was there in the neighborhood, you know, and I didn't want my family to get hurt, so of course, I didn't want to say anything that would put them in jeopardy. Colleen's visit comes to an end less than 24 hours later. The phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's him. And he said, I'll be there in like 10 minutes. And my heart just sunk, I was like. So he shows up, and my dad's wife, she says, uh, let me get a picture of you guys. In the meanwhile, they're asking him, you know, questions like, well, where do you guys live? And can we get your address and your phone number? And and he's making all these excuses and saying that, well, um, you know, we're in the process of moving. We'll forward that information to you, which of course never happened because uh, it was all a lie. Now, after she visits her dad, her previous freedoms were now stripped away. Why? For three more years, she was locked back in the box under the bed so she can get back into her role as a sex slave. Why does she lose her freedom? He felt like he gave her way too much of a leeway on her leash that he needed to still get back into control. He was losing it once he visited, you know, her family. And he just wanted to remind her that she was his and not her family's. Yeah, that's... Wow, okay. In May of 1984, this is seven years after her capture. This is when she was allowed to start working as a maid in an, like a hotel in their area. Now, Colleen was also given the opportunity to go jogging unsupervised, and she never ran away because she truly believed the story about the company. Dude, that's, that's crazy. 
Now, this was all explained by Michelle Gaeta, who is a professor of psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and she's done a lot of research on violent offenders, psychopathy, and trauma. Now, she states that Colleen's belief in the company makes sense when taking the larger context of her kidnapping. She's quoted, It sounds a little unbelievable, but you ask yourself, is not the fact that she's kept under the bed completely wildly unbelievable? If everything you've ever thought in terms of predictability and safety is taken away, what is left of the psyche? This is not a one-time rape or one-time attack. This was pervasive for years. I mean, that makes a lot of sense when she said that it's not, you already got kidnapped. You already am going, you're already going through all these years and years of torture and abuse. Like, is it that out of the realm of possibility that there's somebody watching that wants to kill you? You already lost all your security and everything that makes you feel safe. Exactly. So that makes a lot of sense, honestly. You lost your family already. It's not like you were, you know, kidnapped, raped, beaten, left for dead. You were kidnapped, raped, and captured and for brainwashed. years. And brainwashed, exactly. Yeah. She was groomed into thinking that the company would really take her and her family out if she didn't obey. Yeah. Her no. love for her family was what was keeping her there. Yeah. Now, as time went on, Colleen was allowed out of the box for longer periods of time. And this was to care for the children and work in the yard. She was still too terrified of the company to escape. Cameron would alternate nights and would sleep with the two gals. So one night he would sleep with Janice. The next night he would sleep with Colleen. They knew nothing about each other getting raped for the most part. They didn't know that he was alternating nights between the two. After this, he also made plans to build a dungeon and have more sex slaves to keep the control and power. And this made Janice very upset. Jan's heart started to soften a little bit towards me. Um, the last year I was there, when she started getting me out of the box, why uh, Cameron was at work and the girls were at school and we would study the Bible together. When we would do the Bible studies together, we didn't really have conversations about other things because it, the rules still applied. Like I was still the slave and it was not my place to just strike up a conversation with her. The thing that just seemed really strange and off to me was Cameron had told us that, you know, in reverence to God, we had to cover our heads. Here I was sitting on the floor at the bottom of their bed uh, in front of the box, naked. And, you know, she gives me this prayer beanie to put on and she had hers on. Of course, she was dressed, she was clothed. And I thought, okay, so this is weird. Like, how is this being, you know, showing respect for God? But to be obedient to him and uh, to what I was told I had to do, I did it. I just think it's crazy when people, you know, assume that we had all these conversations and that 
I knew all these things about these people. I really didn't. I mean, they were pretty much up until the end strangers to me because I didn't know a whole lot about them because I wasn't allowed to ask them questions or speak to these people like you would in a normal person. Now, while initially Janice had seemed to enjoy the torture of Colleen, she later told the girl that she had also been subjected to sexual assaults and beatings from the moment she met Cameron at the age of 15 in 1973. Well, yeah, because you said earlier that whenever Cameron married Janice, it like upgraded her to a more respectable, which is stupid, but you know, like he respected her enough to marry her. So in all reality, she's looking at Colleen like that was me. Exactly. Until I got my privilege of being with this man. Yeah. Cameron was her quote unquote savior from sex slaves when in reality he was her capture. Now Janice has epilepsy and very low self-esteem. She met Cameron when he was only 19 years old. She was never allowed to date or wear shorts or even a bikini growing up. Ooh, so she was very conservative. Yes. Okay. She was raised in a very, very tight conservative household. She had no outside experience and was very susceptible to becoming manipulated by Cameron because she didn't know what was considered normal or over the top, especially when it comes to, you know, her sexuality, her sex life, a relationship. She didn't have the social norms. Yeah, I was about to say the sexuality thing. If you can't even wear a bikini, which I totally get that, raising your kids that way. But to suppress, like, the sexuality part, if they do meet somebody that's out of control like Cameron, they're going to think it's normal. Exactly. She, she doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of do a deep dive into the relationship between the three being Cameron, Colleen, and Janice. Now, Cameron was described to be a very quiet and reserved person, but he was also a smooth talker. He can talk his way into and out of anything. When he met Janice, he asked her out and her very first words to him were, I have to go ask my parents because I'm not allowed to date. Now Cameron did agree and in a very short amount of time, he convinced her strict ass parents to go on a date with him. Oh my God. Convinced them. I don't know how. I don't know how this man did it. And it's crazy to think of what he had to have said. Mm Mm-hmm. But they were convinced. So after Cameron convinced her parents to allow them to go on their first date, he was so smooth that he also convinced Janice to undress. And it gets worse. He also convinced her to tie herself to a tree. He suspends her from her wrists and tortures her. The first date. That is so ballsy. Because what if that girl goes home and tells her parents? I mean, I wish she did, but whoa. Now, she has never had sex or relationships before, so she thought this was completely normal. And he knew that he was creating this idea of sex in her mind to normalize this behavior. Yeah, right off the gate, just, I like you. Probably smooth talked like, I like you so much, like I feel like, let's take it a step further. First date. The first First date. date. First date. And I'm 
I'm almost certain, and this is just in my own personal opinion, I'm almost certain that the way he did it was, well, who else are you going to have? You know, like you haven't had a relationship yet. You're 15. Who else are you going to have sex with? This is what sex is. Who else are you going to do it with? And if she had low self-esteem and didn't understand things, and maybe he, again, off the record, speculation, maybe he was like, your parents aren't going to let you date anybody else. Like, this is your life with me. This is you with me. So he felt like he could do that, go to that level. Exactly. And she was epileptic. So he already knew that there is, in quote, something wrong with her. Yeah. Not saying that, but in his mind, it was just so easy it convinced him that she was too naive and he was just going to get away with it yeah and piggybacking off of like something's wrong with you especially back in that time frame Mm -hmm. he could have used that against her like you're epileptic and you've never been with a man like no one's going to want to be with you because there is something wrong with you there is nothing wrong with her now he is definitely a sexual sadist if you guys have not picked that up already Which, by the way, we do have a Tiny Topic episode on this. If y'all want to go back and listen to it, just for further explanation. And fair warning, that was before we had good microphones, so it sounds really bad. But you can can still listen to it. (laughs) But the information's still the same, so. Yeah. Now I'm going to kind of skip forward from her first date to 1975, where Cameron and Janice were married. And this is when her torture only became worse. During their six sessions, he would whip her, suspend her from more trees. He would put her in handcuffs, even submerge her head in water to the point of near drowning. And when she didn't comply, he beat her. Now she had no friends. She suffered from epileptic episodes very frequently. And she just wanted someone to love her. She craved his attention since that's all she ever knew. However, years of abuse made her want him to look the other way. She was tired of the attention because she didn't know that this attention that was given to her was not the correct attention she was craving. Now, she was very desperate and she decided to enter into a contract with her husband, which allowed him to kidnap and imprison a sex slave in order to give him a new target for his sadistic abuse. Wow. So this whole time it was set up and Janice kind of sounds messed up, but she used Colleen as a scapegoat so she wouldn't get this abuse. Exactly. Now this came from Janice saying that she wanted a baby and basically said, if you get a sex slave, I get a child. Wow. So she's making demands now. He agreed. Wow. This was his version of an award, though. She said that she wouldn't mind having somebody there for him to, and I quote, practice bondage on while she looks after the baby. Now, this agreement also originally stated that Cameron was not allowed to have any sex with the slave at all, only bondage. And this was because sex was only for Janice. This gave Janice two rewards. One, she wasn't being beat anymore. And two, she didn't have to clean the house because there was a slave to clean. It stripped all of her, in her mind, her responsibilities away from her. And it was given to this new unknown slave at the time. So once Janice and Cameron uh, agreed to this contract, this is when they went out looking on a deserted patch of highway to make their move. 
And Colleen just happened to be that victim. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Exactly. Now, fast forward to 1978. This is when Janice makes another suggestion. She decided to say, if you want to, you can have sex with Kay. Now, Colleen, in interviews, she said that she thinks this was Janice's way of seeing if he would honor their contract. However, Janice didn't know that she was already being raped. Because remember, on night one, she was raped. And they only celebrated her capture. Cameron had sex with Colleen, called Janice in afterwards to have sex with Janice to celebrate his success of having a sex slave. Wow. Now, even though Cameron made Janice believe that it was her suggestion to have sex with Colleen, He was actually so pleased that she said it out loud. He marched right downstairs, immediately stripped Colleen and had sex with her. Colleen stated she heard Janice run to the bathroom and throw up out of disgust. Wow. She was devastated. So this whole time Janice really isn't as in love with Cameron or, you know, not in love, but as supportive of Cameron's behavior as we thought from the beginning. Exactly. She was only another part of, you know, the the slavery in a sense. Now, because Janice suggested that he can have sexual relations with Colleen, Cameron then decided to make Colleen his second wife. This upset Janice so much that she decided to come clean and told Colleen that the company was not of existence. So when they were in the house having their like Bible studies or something like that, Janice finally confessed to her that the company's not real. Exactly. Yeah. And Janice revealed to Colleen that Cameron wasn't a member and the slave organization that he said rescued, you know, Janice from was also not real. I would just be devastated that all those opportunities I had to run away were mm-hmm. taken from me. And this is this just horrible. Yes. And this even gave Colleen the willpower to kind of muster up the courage to escape. And she finally felt it was safe for her to flee to, you know, to her parents' house. Now, Janice did help in part after she realized that her husband was probably going to leave her for Colleen. And that's one of the reasons why she wanted to just tell Colleen so that way she can escape and Janice had no competition. Now I'm going to kind of go into the way that they were able to escape because Janice did help Colleen in this part. Janice would always go to her pasture. She would have private conversations, admit her sins very lightly without ever telling them, you know, about what was going on at home. Yeah, the full extent of her exactly. sins. Exactly. She felt like it was her duty to maintain her religious beliefs even through this whole process of keeping, you know, Colleen for seven years. Now, when she found out that Cameron wanted to marry Colleen, she decided to go to her pastor and tell him everything. Her pastor then encouraged her to contact law enforcement and also told her that her relationship was not natural because she thought that this was her fault. She was the one who turned uh, Cameron into this sexual sadist, when in reality, he was already that from the get-go. Yeah, he was that when they met, obviously. (laughs) Yes, 
clearly on on date one yeah after talking to her pastor she then goes to colleen's hotel where she was working at part-time and tells her that she's planning on fleeing in august of 1984 again seven years after colleen was captured janice drove colleen to a bus station before taking her two daughters and trying to escape wow she's gonna escape too Yep. Oh, yeah. Colleen decided to call her father. He gave her money to buy a ticket back home to Oregon. The very sad part is that she also called Cameron to tell him that she had escaped. And he reportedly cried when she told him she'd left him. Why is she telling him that she escaped? She wanted to confront her capture. When you think about her abuse and the years that she's endured it, Stockholm Syndrome does kind of settle in. And she does, you know, think of all those, you know, um, gifts as him caring about her when in reality he didn't, he didn't care about her at all. But she felt like she actually did at times have a connection with Cameron. And I really think that this is one of the reasons why she wanted to call him and tell him that she's leaving him. I go over to the bus station. I went out to the payphone outside the bus station and I called him up and I told him, I'm leaving, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. He started crying, and I hung up the phone, and I got on the bus, and I left. It was fantastic. <laughs> I was so happy. My family had many questions, and um, I didn't want to get into all the gory details because I already knew that they had suffered through so much. Shoot tells us that she was tortured and hung up and, and in a box. You know, it's, it's hard to believe all the stuff that that uh, he had done to her and, and survive. Now, like you've heard in the previous clip, Colleen didn't report her kidnap and abuse to the police for months on end. In fact, she even phoned Cameron several times in hopes that he would reform. What? It was actually Janice that finally gave her husband to the police after acting on the advice from her pastor. Now, once the investigators, you know, heard the story of Janice and how they were keeping a sex slave for years on end, the investigator was very skeptical at first. And even an FBI agent said that it was difficult to understand because at the time, they've never had anything like this before. This is one of the very first cases of Stockholm Syndrome that they have experienced. So since they have like the other girl not coming in, you know, talking about it, then you don't, and then you have Jan or Janice that's kind of like, if, you know, I married the guy and I exactly. complied with it, it seemed like, okay, well, was it really him or was it just you guys consented to it and then now exactly. you don't want it? And, you know, it was also in the time where orgies were a thing and all of that. It Like, sex was being sold everywhere. Like, it was just selling, you know, markets. It was a high fashion like thing. Like, swinger it was, parties. Exactly. It yeah. was the time. So, they just thought it, everything was so consensual. They also kind of played it off like Janice had a disability already. So, is this one of her attempts to get attention. Wow. Now, Janice was able to finally convince both the FBI and the investigators, 
and they were all able to phone Colleen and get all the statements that they needed to place an arrest. Now, months after Colleen's escape, authorities arrested Cameron. There was actually nothing in the home that suggested Colleen was there against her will. He cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. He had of months. Of course he, he had di- months. Yeah, he had months to, to clean up everything. Now, what they were also unaware of was that Janice, within these months, went back to her husband and destroyed everything that could be connected to Colleen. Why? She was afraid. Stockholm Syndrome. She was afraid. She felt like she was in love with Cameron. He was her one and only true love in her mind. Um, she didn't know what else to do. She felt like she needed to protect him. And she also felt guilty for bringing him in. Now, this doesn't get rid of everything, though. In fact, when they were looking through all of the magazines of porn, of course, this is where a negative photograph, so it's, you know, it was pure white. It fell out of one of these pornography magazines, and it was, in fact, a picture of the contract that Colleen signed, and Cameron took a photo of it for his own pleasure. This is exactly what they needed in order to get the arrest. And in fact, they reconstructed the wooden box that Cameron used and sat it in the middle of the courtroom every day he was on trial. Damn, that's crazy. And I do have photos and I will definitely post that, you know, in our IG feed. But yes, it was to build the the intensity, the emotions, the the trauma, that the, she, reality. the reality of it. It was to make sure that the jury knew how much abuse Colleen had endured. Now, there is a twist. I want a twist. Now, of course, Janice turned him in for the kidnap and torture of Colleen. But what was kind of revealed... During the 1985 trial was that he was also being on trial for the kidnap, torture, and murder of another young woman named Marie Elizabeth Spanhakey, who disappeared in January 1976. This was one year before Colleen was kidnapped. Bitch, tell me. What happened? So Janice revealed that her husband captured another young woman who was only 19 years old at the time named Marie Elizabeth. This was on January 31st, so New Year's Eve, 1976. She was also a hitchhiker in Chico, California. Now, according to Janice, they took this young woman to their home in Red Bluff and Cameron physically harmed and eventually murdered Marie Elizabeth. Her body was never found, and authorities were not able to find enough evidence to, you know, uh, prosecute Cameron on, on this murder. However, once Colleen got up to testify in this trial, she also stated that she saw photographs of Marie Elizabeth, which was kept near Colleen's belongings, which, of course, Cameron and Janice, you know, confiscated once they kidnapped her and took her in. She could describe Marie Elizabeth to this day. Now, Janice testified against her husband, and in order for protection, she was given full 
immunity. Prosecutors believed that Cameron mentally and physically abused Janice, making it nearly impossible for her to have defied her husband and stop the horrors that he made Colleen endure. Now, after being charged on multiple counts of kidnapping and sexual assaults, he also stood trial, being convicted of all three counts. Cameron was convicted for 104 years. 104 years? So, so essentially a life sentence and more, and more. Yep. Now, during court hearings, it was also suggested that Colleen suffered from Stockholm Syndrome, which occurs when people begin to love their capture because of the intense stress that they've endured. Now, Colleen said that she began to care for Cameron when he showed her the smallest amount of affection allowing her to celebrate her birthday and giving her a Bible in year one. She later said she coped with her ordeal by compartmentalizing it. The case is decades old, but the horror of what happened to Colleen Stan has not diminished. In 1977, Colleen Stan was 20 years old. She was hitchhiking on I-5 outside Red Bluff and was picked up by a young couple. They had a baby with them. Colleen thought they looked safe. The um, husband looked kind of like dirty, like he maybe had just got off work, and um, and his young wife, and she was holding their seven-month-old baby. Once in the car, the couple drove her into the country. Colleen was overpowered, handcuffed, and a homemade box was put over her head. She was taken to this home in Red Bluff, where she was led to the basement. Instruments of torture were waiting. From now on, there is no more Colleen Stan. You will answer to Kay. You will address me as master and my wife as ma'am. What is it? It's a contract. It formalizes your status as my slave. You're only here to take the pain. <laughs> a movie based on Colleen's experience airs this weekend on Lifetime Channel. The first time I heard of Colleen Stan, I was a reporter at the ABC affiliate in Reading. It was 1989 and I really wanted to interview her. I looked for her, but she didn't want to be found and people didn't leave digital footprints like they do today. 20 years later, J.C. DeGard is found, and I decide to look for Colleen again. This time I spend a week searching online. I find a posting on an obscure website under a pseudonym, and I reach out. There's just enough detail that I think it might be her. It is. She reaches back, we talk, she agrees to an interview. That was 2009. Today will be my third interview with Colleen Stan. Oh, good to She's see you. Are you going to watch this movie. I I have it set up to record it. Um, I may watch it that night. Um, I know a, a couple of my friends have said they will come over and watch it with me and one is actually my kind of my psychiatrist uh, guy that I see and he said he would come over and watch it with me. I'll probably cry when I watch it. It's very intense. Addison Timlin plays Colleen, and when Colleen visited the set, the young actress talked about the vulnerability she felt just while shooting the torture scenes. She was actually in the basement, and um, she was uh, naked and blindfolded and gagged and handcuffed, and, and, and she had a wig on, and so they couldn't take these things off in between takes because it would take too much time. So she just had to stay like this for several hours. Colleen lived that nightmare for seven years. 
much of it in a box under Cameron Hooker's bed. I think the, the thing that shocks people the most when they hear about your case, I mean, yes, the torture shocks them and the, and the sexual abuse, but, but having to spend all that time in that box under his bed. I mean, what would you think about in there? In your mind, you can go anywhere and you can do anything, you know. And I've heard a lot of POWs say that they did the same thing I did. And you just have to go someplace else in your mind. You have to think good thoughts and nice thoughts. And I thought of my family. I went on picnics <laughs> with my family. I went on holidays with my family. I went to good and nice places. Colleen says she isn't religious, but she truly feels God spoke to her during those dark times in the basement. Well, he was torturing me one night down in the basement, and he kind of slithered up next to me, and he says, go ahead and scream. I'll cut your vocal cords. I've done it before. And immediately, God spoke to me and said, do not scream. He is telling you the truth. I did what God said. I didn't scream. I never screamed when he tortured me because I didn't want him to cut my vocal cords. Her captor's reference to doing it before is mentioned in the film, and Colleen says references another young woman who went missing before Colleen's capture. It is the only time she cries during our interview. <sighs> I don't want to cry. <laughs> you know, I feel so bad for Marlis, and you know, I think because she was the first victim, and things just got totally out of control and he did the things that he did to her and and eventually he choked her to death. Marie Elizabeth Sponicky was never found but Colleen saw her every day. He kept this picture of her and in this space in between the pedestal of the bed and the actual box that he kept me in under his waterbed there was a space and he had my purse in there and my personal things I guess in it and then he had this picture of this woman that he had propped up against my purse so every time I got in and out of the box I saw this picture of this woman. Only after her escape did Colleen find out the woman in the picture was Sponicky. I wasn't his first victim you know I was just the one that survived. Colleen says the movie will bring up difficult memories but she already has painful daily reminders of her time in captivity. Spinal injuries from the stretcher she endured and a shoulder injury from the hanging hooks. But her spirit is light and she's willing to face the darkness again, although dramatized now, if only to give others some hope. Now in that interview, she was also referencing a movie that did come out later on and it's fully dramatized. It's just based on her story. This movie is called Girl in the Box. It was released in 2016. And again, fully dramatized. And instead, Colleen, when this movie was released, she had a whole bunch of her friends come over that night to support her. And even her therapist came over and said, if you are going to watch it, we are too. Oh, I love that. They I mean, I don't love that, that, but I yeah. love that support system. That's genuinely just... Mwah. She originally was not going to watch it but she wanted to face her fears and face the reality of what, you know, what happened to her. So what better way to do that than a dramatized version without appealing too much to her own personal, you know, 
Yeah, it's like a parallel of her, but exactly. still her. Exactly. And this was also her way of separating what was true and what was fake, because then this kind of gave it, I guess in her mind, the reality of of an escape almost. Like this, this happened to me, but this that I'm watching right now is not the truth. It's like, okay, so when she's watching the movie, it could be like, when I was in that situation, I felt a part of Cameron actually loved me or cared for me or I did for him. But when I watch it from an outside perspective, I just see an abusive, sadistic monster exactly. that's torturing this girl. So it is kind of like looking at it from a different perspective and can give her understanding of who really Cameron was. Yeah, and how he treated her. Absolutely. Now, Colleen also told People Magazine, and I quote, I learned I could go anywhere in my mind. You just remove yourself from the real situation going on and you go somewhere else. You go somewhere pleasant, around people you love, whatever makes you happy. She also stated, and I quote, your life is just in limbo when you're in captivity. Once you get that freedom back, you have that choice again. It's just like gates opening and you just run for it. She also stated, quote, I have to accept the fact that this has happened because it did. I don't let it affect my life now because to me, it's over. Now, moving on to Cameron. So despite being convicted of multiple counts of kidnapping and assault in 1985, he was also sentenced again to more than 100 years in prison for his crimes. He was given a parole hearing in 2015. The state of California has a parole program for elderly inmates that allows prisoners over the age of 60 to request parole after they've served 25 years of their sentence. However, the parole board denied Cameron's request and he will not be eligible for another hearing until the year of 2030 when he will be 76 years old. Now, the County Deputy Sheriff Association says that there's actually a chance that COVID-19 could get him out early. The president of the County Deputy Sheriff's Association stated, he still poses a danger. He is 66. I understand that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't pose a danger to society. Yeah, I think we've seen enough like older, dangerous people. Like, yeah, your body might be breaking down, but... Exactly. At the same time, you don't know the extent of that. Exactly. It, personally for him. The president of the association also stated, and I quote, the hope is that if this is indeed their intention of looking at paroling him in March, that parole realizes that Northern California is not for this. We do not want these types of people reintroduced into our society, and it is happening whether we like it or not. Colleen Stan is now living under a new name. She's very relieved to learn that her captor was not given the chance for the parole hearing, but she was very sad once COVID took control over the population for prisons. She received intensive therapy after she escaped from Cameron. She also went on to earn an accounting degree. She got married, became a mother, and a grandmother. And now she provides help to support other women who have been victims of abuse. I love that. I love when a bad story can turn into something hopeful. Exactly. Yeah. She is just now trying to cope with her past and help others do the same. But yeah, so that's that's the end. Yay. 
So yeah, thanks for the story. Also, I just wanted to say this before the episode ended. This episode is getting released on February 14th, and that's my birthday. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you guys know, I'm still working on my birthday. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. But yeah, if, if you say happy birthday to me on Instagram, I won't even be mad about it, if you remember. But it's February 14th. <laughs> <laughs> Amber's looking at me like, really, bitch? I'm like, this girl just wants some clout. No, but I'm just saying, if you guys like me and Amber... And you want to say happy birthday to us? That's chill. I, I, <laughs> I was, love how it's now our birthday, guys. Did you hear it? You heard no, it yours first. No, yours is later. <laughs> but even if it was your guys' birthday, I would fucking yes. love to say happy birthday to you guys. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's birthday. Dang, we should have started this episode off with a happy birthday to Molly. So I guess we're going to have to end it then. <laughs> it's okay. I don't need, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need much. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to say um, happy Valentine's Day. If you don't like Valentine's Day, I totally respect that. But Happy anti Valentine's Day yeah, to you. Yeah, anti love day. That's fine. I I feel that. I personally love chocolates and candies, so I On like her birthday. I like Valentine's Day. But um, yeah, I hope you guys have a good weekend. Yeah, and I'm gonna leave you off with a little clip from Colleen, and she's gonna sign you guys out. There is still life after such a tragic thing, and and I hope that that's what my story is to people that they will see that, you know, we all have some kind of trauma or tragedy in our lives at some point. And I just hope that they can see that, um, you know, I made it through this, um, that they can get through whatever's going on in their lives and, um, you know, that things can be some kind of semblance of normal again.